It's good to see everybody again tonight. For those who did not know, football season is among us. Yeah, college football, it starts in two weeks. Uh, The NFL preseason, it's already start. I saw a few advertisements this week. Okay, the first one, it said, Tim McGraw to play free full concert at Raymond James Stadium prior to Buccaneers season opener. Come to find out, it's not actually free because at the bottom of it, it says, ticket costs $45. Right? Well, the other article that I was talking about, it said, this free concert is part of the NFL Fantennial celebration commemorating 100 years of NFL football. Well, the problem is, it hasn't been 100 years. The AFL started in August of 1920, and this is year 99, not 100. Right? At the end of the day, it's just marketing. They're just trying to get people in their seats, having a reason to celebrate. Right? But there's no doubt about it. Ever, advertising and marketing, it's all around us. I thought this was interesting. The United States alone, in, the, in 2019, is projected to spend $300 billion, or two, excuse me, $200 billion on marketing. The whole world is projected in 2019 to spend $300 billion in marketing. So the United States alone is spending two-thirds of, our, of the money on, on marketing. But what do marketing companies and advertising companies, what do they try to do? Well, essentially they try to convince you that their product will make your life better. Right? This is what they do. Here are a few examples from the top commercials of 2019. I thought these were actually pretty funny. Maybe we'll have to go back and look at them later. So you will look better. How? Why? Because of Tide Pods. That's how. Your life will be easier. Why? Because of the simplicity of Rima. A low cost, no frills, no region grocery store. Or your life can be an adventure. How? Well, by traveling to Australia. That's how. Your life can be stress-free and you can save the world. How? By eating a Kit Kat bar. You don't have to be a strange monster in another culture. How? By using Babbel, a language learning app. You get the idea, right? Advertising and marketing companies play off of what we all do. And we all in some way want to better our life. We're searching for this idea of the good life. Well, we we have, as we've seen in the past few weeks in the book of Psalm, there's something the Bible shows us that is far different than what the world is showing us. And advertising and marketing companies are spilling billions of dollars on what David in Psalm 34 is showing us, which is how do we find the good life? David shows us in Psalm 34 God's means for the good life. David has found the good life. And what we'll see in Psalm 34, this is our big idea for today, that the good life is a life that fears the Lord. The good life is a life that fears the Lord. So we're going to look at this psalm, and we're going to look at some of these running themes that are happening in in, in Psalm 34. And these three themes that we'll see today are this. Remember our fears. Know the fear of the Lord. Teach the fear of the Lord. And remember, know, and teach. That's it. Remember, know, and teach. And it's all surrounded around this, this idea of fearing the Lord. And I want to read through this entire psalm, but before we do that, I want to point out a few things that uh, just are, are helpful in knowing this psalm. This psalm is actually an acrostic poem. So, you know, if you think of the Hebrew alphabet, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and so it's, it's walking through. You know, a lot of times kids will do these acrostic poems at Thanksgiving. It's like they write out your name, kind of make your, write your name up and down, and then write the things you're thankful for. 
It's really just a tool that helps us to remember. You know, all that to say, like, David did this acrostic poem so that he would help us remember. This, this psalm, he wants us to, to remember. This is a psalm of praise. David is excited in this psalm, as we'll see. He's giddy. He's, he's overwhelmed, almost. But something that's really interesting about this song, and if you look at the heading of the psalm in your Bibles, this is, this is what it says. It says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Well, the past several weeks, we've had a few reasons to believe that some of these psalms that we've looked at have interacted with other stories, particular stories in David's life. Well, this one just comes out and just tells us. Like, it just tells us this, this happened at this time, right? David was overwhelmed with excitement because of this particular experience. He was having a mountaintop experience in this instance. You know, it was like he just won the lottery, almost. And he was shocked. He was excited. He was in disbelief. And he writes this psalm as a response. We have to wonder, what in the world was this event? Well, we know if we look back in 1 Samuel 21, it's this really funny story that kind of happens. So... David's running from Saul. You know, we just know before leading up to this, he's running from Saul. Saul was jealous. They were singing about David. They weren't singing about Saul, right? Everyone was kind of cheering for David. No one was cheering for Saul. And so David was fleeting. He was running. He was, he was, on, he was, he was seeking refuge. And then in 1 Samuel 21, David finds himself in this little pickle, okay? He finds himself in the, in the confines of the king of Gath, which is also known as Abimelech. And this king was like, hey, this, isn't this David? This is David. It's like, this is the guy that Saul has been chasing after. And at this point, when this happened, David, he, he was in, like, he was trapped. He knew he was in trouble. But what did David do? He went, he kind of went Jack Bauer on him a little bit, you know? <laughs> or maybe, well, I'll let you be the judge. This is what happened. David disguised himself. He pretended to be crazy. Okay, it says there's spittle running down his face. He was acting like a madman, a crazy person. And then you know, he was scribbling all over the walls. I mean, he was just acting like a crazy person. He was out, they, this is what they said. They said he's out of his mind. So they let him go. That's what happens. And then he couldn't believe that this happens. And then he comes out and he writes Psalm 34. Right? He got away by acting like a crazy person. So all that being said, let's read Psalm 34. That's kind of what happens up to this point. This is what it says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days and what, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from the evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted 
and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, for those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So, imagine David getting out of this crazy situation. He's like a, you know, acting like a crazy person. He's, it's led him directly into praise. And he says in verse 3, he's, he says in the first three verses, he says, I will bless the, bless the Lord in verse 1. It's like an absolute blessing. Like, I will bless the Lord. It's, it's like there's a certainty to it. At all times, I will bless the Lord. And then he says, my boast is in the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Exalt your name. You see, David, he's, on this, he's having this mountaintop experience, but it's in the context of a challenging circumstance. He's looking back at his life. He's remembering his fears and how God has delivered him specifically. And the first thing I want to see you today is that we should remember our fears, but specifically when God delivers us from our fears. David is reflecting on a past difficulty. He's looking back on how God has worked in his life. Look what he said in verse 4. He said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And then down in verse 6 he said, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Without a doubt, he's remembering what God has done, how God has helped him. Right, how God has answered him, specifically with the past, like with his fears and his troubles. Just think about us for a moment. Think about our fears, right? Your fears, my fears, all of our fears, and coming, coming here to Tampa specifically. But let's not forget what God has done. Right? I, one of my greatest fears in, in Tampa and coming down here uh, was, was building a team. In, in, what, what if nobody comes? Right? That, was, that was a legitimate fear that we had. And I told Kelly repeatedly, going from, going from the two of us to, to 50 people, that, was like the, that seemed like the most daunting task to me. Because honestly, most church plants in the United States, they don't make it past 30 and they die. That's just typically what happens. You, you, don't, you just can't get any sort of critical mass and they die. But look what God has done. We've got almost 60 people here right, that are on our team. We, there's still more that are coming, but we, look what God has done. How... I can't forget how God has turned my greatest fear into our greatest strength. Right? We can't miss this opportunity to look back and remember what God has done in the past three to six months. All the fears we've had related to housing and jobs, right? relationships and family. And I remember, I remember standing in, a, in the room outside of Mercy Hill. Just, you know, we had a month left of training. And it was like I, you know, I punched you on the stomach. You know, there was a deep gasp in the room just saying that like we only had a month left. Like this is what this is what we've got left. You know, we didn't most of you didn't have jobs, you needed to sell houses. It felt like this daunting task to get everyone in that room in Greensboro to get everyone there to get them down here. And but look what look what God has done. Like there's still some that that haven't made it. They need jobs and let's continue to pray, but let's let's not forget what God has done. God hears our prayers. He hears our cries. And we still, we still have fears, we still have struggles, and we will continue to have fears and struggles. But let's not forget to look back and remember how God has answered our prayers in our times of, of fear specifically. There's something unique about us going through a time of fear because what it does is it forces us to trust the Lord. That's what it does. 
Nobody wishes for fear. Nobody wishes fear on anybody. Nobody, nobody prays. No one in their right mind prays to be fearful. In fact, one of the most used phrases in the Bible from God is to fear not. God calls us not to fear. Yet, God uses our challenging and often fearful circumstances to grow our trust and our patience and dependence on God. Tim, Tim Keller, he wrote um, a prayer about this psalm, Psalm 34. And this is what he said. He said, Lord, it is not exactly right to thank you for my sorrows, for you did not create a world filled with evil, and my grief causes you grief, and yet I do thank you for the many riches I have found in these dark minds, patience and courage and self-understanding, and most of all, your love and presence. Amen. See, there's this beautiful tension where God did not create us to fear. He didn't create us to be sorrowful, but yet he grows us and he strengthens us in the midst of it. And he delivers us through it. And we can, when we look back and we remember and rejoice, because remembering what God has done reminds us that we can trust the Lord and it fuels us to rejoice in the Lord. Because God continually calls his people to trust him. He calls us to cry out to him in times of fear, in times of trouble, in confusing time. And when God answers us when we call, let's not be people that forget, but people that remember and rejoice. One of the things I want to point out about David remembering his fears is he didn't point to himself. David pointed to God. I mean, think about this. David just got himself out of this crazy circumstances. circumstance. I mean, he could have said, I'm the man, right? I'm so smart. Look at how great of an actor I am. I just got out of this crazy thing, scribbling and spitting on myself and, you know, to spit. That was the best part. Wasn't that great? I'm just brilliant. That's not what he did. He could have. But David, didn't re- David remembered himself. David didn't remember himself as the deliverer. David remembered God as the deliverer. The entire psalm is pointing back to God. And let's not be quick to make ourselves our own deliverers. In fact, if what David is saying about true, about the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is what leads us to the good life, if that's true, then pride keeps us from the good life. Because pride and the fear of the Lord, they can't go together. And we saw this last week, that the, you know, at the root of pride, we elevate ourselves, And we fear the Lord, and we'll get into this more later, but when we fear the Lord, we're essentially elevating God and putting ourself under God's rule. Which brings us to our second point. We need to know the fear of the Lord. We need to know the fear of the Lord. We need to understand it. We need to experience it. So we must ask, what is the fear of the Lord? Because this is really, this is really important to the Christian life. Right? I mean, let's, let's look, back, look back at what Psalm 34 says. Verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Verse 9, it says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. There's no doubt about it. There's something that's very significant about the fear of the Lord. But what is the fear of the Lord? This idea, it comes up throughout the entire Bible. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 31.30 says, A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Psalm, or Proverbs, that was Proverbs 30. Psalm 147.11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. So knowing and understanding the fear of the Lord, this is really important stuff. So we want to be a people that get this. 
But what is it? Let's look back at Psalm 34. Psalm 34 gives us some language how we can get to the point of fearing the Lord, like just specifically of how we get there. Notice some of the language that surrounds the fear of the Lord in this passage. David is, is using his testimony um, for means of instruction on the fear of the Lord. Okay? Verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord, and he answered. Sought here, it's like a, it's translated if you, you know, as, as it's translated if he, it, it is not translated as if he didn't know where God is. Like, it's not like this hide-and-seek game where he doesn't know where God is, right? It's, it's like a, I know where you are. I'm coming to find you. I know you. I'm coming back to you. I need your help type of seeking. Fearing God is to know God, to know God personally, to seek God, to run to God, to depend on God. There's a sense of humble dependence in fearing the Lord. And again, because pride and fear... Fearing God, they can't go together. Look at verse 6. The poor man, it says, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him. David calls himself a poor man. Remember, David at this point, he's like, he's slayed giants already. He's taken out armies. And yet he calls himself a poor man. He says the poor man cries. Poor man and crying, those aren't exactly like macho terms, you know. It's not like warrior-like qualities, and David is showing humility and dependence on God, and God answered him. Look down at verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. There's a sense of experiencing the Lord's goodness. It's one thing to know that the Lord is good in our head, but it's another thing to taste it, to see it, to experience it. And we all get this. You know, I, I can tell you, all about my favorite restaurant, right? I could just sit here and, and describe to you that steak, the size of the steak, the perfect amount of fat that's in the steak. It just gives it the best flavor. You know, how the, the, the way that they tenderize the steak, how they prepare the steak, how they put salt and butter on the steak, and how, they, how it's perfectly seared, right? I mean, I can, I can tell you all about it, but if I really wanted you to know how good it was, what would I say? You've got to go taste it. You've got to go see it. There's an experience that can be understood, that can't be understood until we experience it, until you experience it for yourself. And David is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste the Lord's goodness and see it with your eyes. Taste the goodness of his word and being in the presence of God in prayer to slow down and delight in God and to know the joy that come in, about, in singing in God's goodness. To feel the warmth of God. To know God is not just to understand the Bible. To be able to list the character of God, a list of doctrines and attributes of God. And don't hear me wrong here. I, I want to be overly clear. Theology and doctrine are vitally important. Vitally important. They drive us. They direct us. I love it. I just said this three weeks ago, when we, what we believe about God must drive our emotions. Our emotions cannot drive what we believe about God. Theology and doctrine, they're the tracks that we run on. They're the guardrails, these essentials. But one of the greatest gaps in the Christian life is that what we know in our heads doesn't make it to our hearts. And this is something we have to fight for. We have to taste and see that the Lord is good. What we know in our head has to travel to our hearts. There's two extremes on this spectrum. There's two dangers that we can learn, that we can lean towards. On one side of the spectrum, the danger is to be like a mindless Christian, to have like a, an anemic Christianity. 
that says, like, we love God, but we don't love God with our mind. And on this side of the spectrum, the tendency is to, is to, search, for like an, for, to search for an emotional experience, to, to search for the warm and fuzzies. There's a tendency to run or ignore any sort of theology or doctrine because it feels stale and rigid. And if the feeling isn't, isn't there, the danger is to think God must not be there. In a sense, emotions are driving what we believe. And on the other side of the spectrum, on the other side, we can, it, it, there's like a, it's like a hard-hearted Bible thumper. To know the Bible front and back, to know theology and doctrine with our heads, but yet what's in the head, what's in our heads doesn't affect our hearts. We, you know, we love God with our mind, but we don't love God with all of our heart and soul. They can tell, we can tell you exactly how to cook the steak, where it came from. We can tell you like what the cow ate, the type of grass that it ate, the brand of butter and the coarseness of the salt, but there's, there's never, they've never tasted it. And these are two extremes, and we want to find that middle ground. We want, to, we want to have both. We want to love God with our mind. We want, to study, we want to study God in His Word to know Him with our head, but we also want to know Him with our heart and our soul. That we can, so that we can experience the goodness of God. We want to taste it and see it. And I want us to slow down here for a second and notice the personal nature of God in this psalm. This psalm feels like that song. I don't know if, you've, if you remember this, like, Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Remember that song? I'm not going to sing it. But you know what I'm talking about. Just listen to the senses and the, and the closeness and the intimacy in this psalm. It's communicating as if God is sitting in the same room as us. Right? He's communicating the presence of God. Listen to these verses. Verse 5. Their faces shall never be ashamed. Verse 6. The Lord heard him. Verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come, O children, listen to me. Keep your tongues from evil, your lips from speaking deceit, in verse 12. Verse 15, the eye of the Lord are towards the righteous, the ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against the righteous. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. Verse 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. Verse 20, he keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Do you hear the tone of this psalm? God is a, is a personal God. He communicates us. He wants us to, to hear Him and listen to Him and be guided by His Spirit. Listen, God has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us and to fill us and give us boldness and belief and faith and to help us. But yet, if we're not careful, we can quench the Holy Spirit in our life. Because Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. Paul said, don't quench the Holy Spirit. It's something that we can squelch out in our life. It's not to lose it, but almost to ignore it. And I pray that we will be a people that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our life, that are guided by His Spirit. Because God is, God is a personal God. His Spirit fills us and guides us. And this is, this is essential to understanding the fear of the Lord. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says to be filled with the Spirit. There are at least ten references in the book of Acts saying, full of the Holy Spirit, or they are filled with the Holy Spirit. When we taste the Lord's goodness, it's a little similar, it's similar to being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, we see evidence of what the Spirit does in our life. The Spirit helps us to fight sin, to have great faith and great hope, to great trust. The Spirit illuminates our minds to give us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. The Spirit gives us gifts that we may not have had before. 
When the Spirit is working in our life, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. When you see victory in sin, taste and see that the Lord is good. When, you have, when your faith is strengthened in a difficult time, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we see God working in our lives, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have access to the Spirit of God. In essence, we have a massive, delicious steak sitting in front of us at all times. Jesus has served it to us. He's put it in front of us, and we can see it, and we can taste it, and it's to be enjoyed. But let's not be fooled. Regardless of whether we can taste it and see us, Jesus is still sitting at the table with us. He's, we're still in his watching care, but he gives us a gift to enjoy under his watching care. The Holy Spirit is God's means for us to taste that the Lord is good. Let's not quench the Spirit in our life. Let's seek to be filled with the Spirit and let's enjoy the gift that God has given us because when we know and experience the Lord's beauty, when we experience His power and His presence, His provision and His kindness, when we seek God, when we know God, when we experience Him, when we taste Him, when we know God intimately and pers personally, when we enjoy His gifts, all of these things lead us to fear Him. But, but it still leaves that question that I asked at the beginning. What, it still leaves it unanswered. What is the fear of the Lord? You know, we talk to us about what leads us to the fear of the Lord. Now, now what is it? What is the fear of the Lord? Okay? We're going to get to it. All right? Many people define fearing the Lord, fearing God as an awe or a reverence. And I think that's right in a lot of ways. Because there's a sense of respect there's also a sense of humility and trembling, understanding God's power, understanding God's might. It's, but it's not like a, a scared fear that makes God unapproachable. It's a trusting fear. There's a sense of confidence in God. There's a confidence in His holiness, a confidence in God's good intentions. You see, the, the, there's a humility that comes when we fear God. Fearing God is understanding our right position before God. Fearing God is understanding our right position before God. It recognizes that God is king, that God is the commander, that God is the protector. There's a sense of trembling that happens when we fear the Lord. There's a trembling fear and it keeps us safe. It keeps us from running from God. It protects us. Before moving to Tampa, uh, we, we would go to the lake, like Kelly's parents' lake house, and we put, a, uh, we put an unmistakable fear of swimming in lakes here in Florida. Just like unmistakable. You know, the, the lakes in North Carolina, they're okay to swim in, but not in Florida, right? Not so much. We would tell our kids this. They're like toddler-eating monsters in these Florida, in, in, the, in the lakes there. You, you don't swim in the lakes, right? They will see you, and they will eat you. Like, that's what they will do. They will eat you. We put a fear in them. So now, every time we drive by water, uh, my son, he's like, Daddy, is there a lake in that water? I mean, is there, is there an alligator in that water? I'm like, yes, son, sure is. He's like, oh, okay, you know. 
There's like a trembling fear in his eyes just by like knowing there's an alligator close by. But see what happens when I talk about this in this illustration, we equate the fear of God with fearing the alligator. It's a scared fear. But the reality is the more important fear is that he fears my instruction, my guidance, that they listen to it and they respect it because it protects them. Right? Because God draws us into his loving and his watching care. There's a delight. There's a safety that comes in fearing God. There's a refuge found in the fear of the Lord. But there's something we can't miss about the fear of the Lord. We know the fear of the Lord. It affects us. Fearing God, it changes us. It redirects us. Right? It keeps us out of that, the alligator eating lakes. Right? Look at what happens through the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So if we fear God, if we understand our relationship before God, if fearing God is a trusting fear, if there's a confidence in God's good intentions, if we're submitting to His protection, then fearing God is also submitting to His direction. Submitting to God's way of life. It's not swimming in those lakes. Using language from verse 13 and 14, keeping our tongue from evil, running from evil, not being deceitful, doing good, seeking and pursuing peace, this is an outcome of the life that fears the Lord. It's the fruit on the tree. When, we plant a, when, we plant, when a plant is planted in good soil, when it's watered, when it's taken care of, it produces good fruit. So understanding our relationship to God, understanding the fear of the Lord, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, that's the good soil. That's where we want to be. When we look, to, when we look at our life, you know, if, if we look at the, the fruit of our life, the way we treat others, the way we speak to others, the health of our marriage, right? When we look at that, we have to look, that's, that's, that's the fruit that is coming out. And we can't try to staple good fruit on a bad tree, right? We just can't do it. To make a fruit tree healthy, you work on the roots. We put soil, we put it in good soil. We water it, we fertilize it. We seek to taste and see that the Lord is good. We seek the Lord. We cry out in humble dependence. We say to God, God, I'm a poor man. We swallow our pride. We tremble at the Lord's presence. And we, and we, we seek shelter in His loving care. But look back at verses 15 to 22 because there's a little bit of a problem here. It says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and His ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The problem is, God is only for the righteous. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, which we saw in verse 16. Verse 17, the Lord delivers the righteous out of the trouble. The Lord delivers them from the, from the many afflictions. Verse 19, we cannot, forget, we cannot forget the impact that the gospel has on this psalm. The life, the de death, and resurrection of Christ, it influences, it completely changes this psalm for us. Because the reality is, if we go back to the language of this psalm, without Jesus, drawing from the language, 
The Lord does not hear our cry. God's eye is not towards us. The face of the Lord is against us. We can't taste and see that the Lord is good. There's no deliverance from God. Without Jesus, we can't fear the Lord. We can't have safety and refuge and trembling humility and respect. We can only fear the Lord in a terrifying fear. There's no safety. There's no refuge. There's no deliverance. It's all trouble. And there's no deliverer. But when Jesus was hung on the cross... Our fear of God turned from a terrifying fear to a protecting fear. It's a safe fear. It went from fearing the jaws of the alligator to fearing the instruction of a loving father. If the fear of the Lord is found in trembling towards God, if the fear of the Lord is knowing our standing before God, then the fear of the Lord is found by trembling at the foot of the cross. Look at verse 20. He says he keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. The entire last third of this psalm is drawing our attention to the cross. In the book of John, immediately after Jesus' death, they were cleaning up from the crucifixion. <clears throat> and the criminals, that were, they were, the criminals, they were all left there. And the Jewish custom was for for, for them to come and clean it up, and they were to break the bones of the criminals, specifically the criminals. And for whatever reason, the soldiers, they didn't break Jesus' bones. Like the others, instead, they pierced his side. They didn't break his bones, but they pierced his side. And this is what it says in the book of John, right after that. In John 19, 35 and 36. It says, He who saw, he, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. For those things that took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And they quote Psalm 34, verse 20. It says, not one of his bones will be broken. You see, the book of John, it shows us that the righteous man in Psalm 34, it's Jesus. And it can only be Jesus. We know that Jesus is the only one that is righteous. Now let's go back through and let's listen to some of these truths that the psalm is showing us. Using the using the lens of the gospel, knowing what we know to be true of the gospel because of Jesus, because Jesus is the righteous one, the eyes of the Lord are towards us because of Jesus. The face of the Lord is not hidden from us because of Jesus. The Lord hears and delivers us of our troubles because of Jesus on the cross. The Lord, in verse 18, because of the cross, is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In verse 19, we have many afflictions, but through the power of the cross, we know that one day we will be delivered from all of them. Verse 22, verse 22 through the cross, God redeemed us, and we won't be condemned because of our refuge found at the cross. We have a great hope at the cross. We have a great reason to fear the Lord, to tremble at the foot of the cross. And there's something significant about this psalm, and also in John 19, where this psalm was quoted. And is it the fear of the Lord? It's not to be held to ourselves. The fear of the Lord is to be taught and shared. When Psalm 34 was quoted in John 19, it was quoted, and it says in John, so that you may also believe. It was a call to remember. A call to remember the teaching of Psalm 34. Because those that heard those words in, John, in, in, in the book of John, if they knew Psalm 34, it was drawing their attention to the fear of the Lord. But specifically, that they would teach others the fear of the Lord so that others may believe. Because in verse 11, 
In Psalm 34 it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And then right after that, in verse 11, he draws, he draws their attention to the righteous. And we know that ultimately he draws our attention to the gospel. David in Psalm 34, he, had, he was having this mountaintop experience. He's seen God do something crazy. He's seen God delivered him. And what's his response? He's excited. He's overwhelmed. He must share with others. Now, I just imagine David running around saying, listen to this. Listen to what God has done in my life. He wants people to know this God, his deliverer. The God that has saved him has given him a refuge. He wants others to be in awe of this God, to respect, the, to respect his Lord, his God. And this brings us to our last point. We're to share the fear of the Lord. If we have encountered God, if we have tasted that the Lord is good, if we have fully known and understood the fear of the Lord, our response should be a giddy, overwhelmed, and ecstatic, and excitement to share with others what God has done. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5.11, he says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And then in Acts 9.31, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And this is what it says, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. There's no doubt about it. Walking in the fear of the Lord fuels us for evangelism. They're connected. They're related. Walking in the fear of the Lord, it changes us. When we delight in the Lord, we want others to delight in the Lord. If David was overwhelmed by being released from the hand of an earthly enemy, we should be overwhelmed by the release of an eternal enemy. We should be overwhelmed by the nearness of God. We have a refuge in Christ. Verse 10 says, "Those in Psalm 34, 10, it says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We have everything we need in Christ. Everything. Everything. Jesus completes us. Jesus satisfies us. We need nothing else. Nothing. Verse 5 says, Those who look to Him are radiant. How cool is that? Those who look to Him are radiant. Like, Jesus radiates us. Like, there's a, we emit a glow, so to speak. We emit a light. When we find satisfaction in Christ, when we taste His goodness and know, when we know that this world has nothing better to offer, it, we look different to the world. Our lives radiate. The gospel fuels us to live a life on mission. I've been saying this all summer. Mission is an act of worship. It's an overflow of our life. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, we want others to taste it too. Living on mission is a response to what God has done in the gospel. We're praying for a movement. We're praying for lives to be transformed by the gospel. We're begging for God to use us to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And this seems very backwards. I don't think you're going to find this in like the local Christian bookstores in the evangelism section. right? If those even still exist. <laughs> and I want to close with this. The first step of our evangelism strategy, the first step in Evangelism 101 for New City Church, our first step is to sit at the foot of the cross. It's for us to taste and see that the Lord is good. For us to fear the Lord. To wait on the Lord. But let's not forget, living on mission is a fruit that comes from a healthy tree. It's, 
It's a fruit from, the, from those who come to those who fear the Lord. Those that have seen and experienced the Lord's goodness, that have seen the good life, so to speak. Those that have grasped the transforming power of God and radiate and teach and proclaim and share the Lord's goodness. The goodness of God that can be found in the gospel. Right? May, we, may we be a people that fear the Lord so that those around us may fully know and experience Jesus so they may find the good life that's found in fearing the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we love you. Uh, we need you. We need your presence. We, we need you to be with us. Father, we pray that we would be a people that fear the Lord, that fear you and that, that want to taste and that can taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, be with us. Fill this place. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.